If you're trying to find a new design or development job, you should be checking out this week's sponsor, Hired. It's a great way to land your new job, whether you're looking for something full-time or contract. They have over 2,500 great companies looking to hire in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, New York City, London, Washington, D.C., and more great cities all around the world. By using Hired, you can get five or more job offers in a single week and see salary and equity for each offer up front before deciding to respond. You don't pay a cent, and there are no obligations. Hired always gives out a $2,000 thank you bonus to people who get a job through them but they've got an even better deal for listeners of Does Not Compute. If you sign up by going to Hired.com slash Does Not Compute and get a new job, they'll give you a $4,000 thank you bonus instead. Point number 10 is publish your work. This is something that... <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had it. I had it in the bag. That's my bad. That's my bad. <laughs> So you're working on the new Flaticon site, right? How's that going? It's been a long time in the making, <laughs> but it's, go- it's going really well. Uh, I talked with Zach last week, and we kind of drew a line in the sand and just said, you know, if it's not done by this date, then we'll just kind of move on from it. And so it's been in a place where it's really close for a long time now. I just haven't had the time to actually get it over the hump. And uh, so I feel, you know, I feel like with a little extra push here in the next couple of weeks we'll be able to get it out the door that'll be awesome i mean i know there's a lot of cool new features in that and i guess it probably helps to have a deadline i know that really always helps me i have to get this thing done by this date and that makes it so much easier for me to allocate time and make sure that i'm spending the right amount of time and just push myself to really get it done when it needs to be done you're right if you don't have a deadline it's kind of hard to schedule time for that you don't know how much or how little time you should be putting towards uh, the goal. But, you know, drawing a line here, I think it's helped me a lot. So I think in the last two days, I've gotten more done just because I'm being conscious of it than I have in a month previous to that. It also seems, you know, since this is a side project, I've been working on it in bursts. I'll get really excited about it and then, you know, work on it for a couple of weeks and then I'll get busy with client work. And then the last thing I want to do is go home and work more, you know, you know, the last week or so I've had kind of a burst of energy. So I'm actually really enjoying uh, working on it this time around. So do you have any sense of what's changed maybe that's making the project so much more exciting for you now? Well, I think number one, it being really close to release, I think has has kind of lit a fire under me. Um, But also, and I know I've been harping on it for a while now, but uh, I've been learning more about Vue.js and I decided to redo some of the backbone components in Vue. And I found that in redoing them, I actually cut down the lines of code quite a bit. And the logic in the views is much, much simpler. Previously, where I might have had some duplicated logic in the Rails side and and in the JavaScript side, uh, I was able to get rid of that, which it makes me feel a lot better about things. You know, if there's one point of failure, I think that's probably better than having maybe something being able to go wrong in your JavaScript. But Vue has definitely helped me out a lot. I've also learned, actually, you linked me to a Rails gem a while back called Rails Serializers, and that's been incredible. The idea is that a few of these components are all AJAX-based so that the UI is fluid, and that means I have to work with a lot of JSON. And so before, I was making my own JSON uh, builders, essentially, and what the serializers do is they actually replace that with much drier code. So you would have a, a Rails model, 
you would create a serializer for that model. And in the serializer, you would tell it what attributes you want to be exposed to the JSON and it just builds that. Yeah. So a lot of times in Rails code, what you'll kind of end up with is if you're doing AJAX responses or anything that requires JSON data, a lot of times in your controller, you'll kind of end up writing out some model as JSON or to JSON and then specifying different keys and relationships and all that in line in your controller. Um, and if you have different endpoints, you'll obviously have to duplicate that code, which is not dry, or you'll have to duplicate it, but it'll be slightly different. So Active Record serializers actually let you write a class that determines how each type of thing gets spit out as JSON automatically without you having to retype that everywhere. So you have it defined in one place, and you can make multiple serializers if you want, if you have different representations, but you define the relationships and the keys and properties, everything you want to come out and you can rename keys in line. Um, so it's just, it's a lot more, it's a lot cleaner. One of the things I thought was really awesome is that you can actually redefine those relationships. Uh, so it actually knows about has many or belongs to or things like that. So you would include that has many, or for example, a shopping cart would have many icon sets. And below that, I obviously, you know, when you want, when you click on add a set to cart, you would want that to go to the last position. And by default, I believe Rails sorts by ID. So in the serializer, I over I overwrote that to say add these uh, these icon sets to the cart, but order by border, order by created at I think it ended up being. And so now when you add a an icon set to the cart, it just goes to the last position. And it was just that simple. It happens in one place, and yeah, it's just so simple. Yep, it's really great, and it's actually something that's going to be uh, it's going to be added to core Rails in Rails five, I believe, but. If anybody wants to use it right now, you totally can. We'll have a link in show notes to the gym. Um, it's fantastic and a great kind of low-hanging fruit to dry up your code. The other thing that really helped me out was uh, using this idea of a store. And I've read a few blog posts about it, and I don't know maybe what the, the proper terminology is, um, but I'm calling it my data store file. Anything that happens through Ajax to the server, whether it's you know setting data or requesting data, it happens through my store file. So in my views, I would do like uh, store dot add icon set to cart, and I would pass it the ID of the icon set, and then when that request resolves, I overwrite the I have a state object inside of this store, and so all it does is overwrites that state object with the response from the server, and since I'm using view, the views see that the data has updated, and they update the they just redraw themselves accordingly that's interesting it almost sounds kind of like flux in a way yeah i think maybe that's where i heard about the idea i think he actually sent me a flux cartoon and i looked at it i didn't internalize it i definitely looked at it and but that that i think that's where i got that idea was from flux that's pretty cool so you've basically taken that and, and pulled it out of flux and just implemented only the part you need in your app which is which is pretty neat that's a lot more lightweight yeah, I mean, I feel like this works perfectly because it serves one purpose. I didn't have to learn everything about Flux and implement an entire Flux implementation into this. I just took something that I figured would work for me, and it has worked amazingly well. I think, though, maybe the the biggest reason that I've been so excited uh, to work on Flaticons over you know the last week is because I feel like for a long time now I've been kind of on a plateau. You know, I I did a lot of work and I got to a place where I wanted to be as a programmer, but I was just kind of stuck there. And I feel like lately I've maybe breaking out of that plateau. I'm starting to to go up to the next level. And 
I don't know, I always get really excited when, when concepts just start clicking for me and I'm able to dry something up or if I'm able to refactor some code. In my case, you know, I was able to go in and rewrite some JavaScript that I'd written maybe six months ago and directly saw the benefits. You know, a more stable application, a faster UI, a more stable UI. Um, I, I don't know, it just got me so excited. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a pretty important concept in programming is that every six months or so, you should look back at stuff you wrote six months prior. And if it doesn't look kind of gross to you, you probably haven't been learning enough in the last six months. And that sounds kind of crazy, but if you're if you're pushing yourself with programming stuff, you will, every six months, you will look back and think, wow, who was that person and why did they write that? That's really true. Uh, I actually, when I, when I, well, when I taught guitar lessons, I would tell students to keep a log of their practices, keep a log of the, the things that they're working on, the, the beats per minute that they're doing exercises. And so that way, when they get frustrated, they can have something tangible to look at and see an actual progress. And it's cool that we as programmers can go to GitHub or we can even look at applications that we've built and look at them and just think, man, I would totally do that differently. Or I don't know why I did that in the first place, you know. We, we've talked about looking at other people's source code in the past, but I think going back and looking at your own source code is a really great way to remind yourself of how far you've come. Yeah, it's it's a really good way. So we have actually had a couple people asking us about learning programming and how to get started over the last week or so. And we covered this a couple episodes back, I believe in episode three, but it's a, it's a pretty important topic and there seems to be a lot of interest in it. So we thought we'd come back to that and kind of talk about it a little bit more um, because there there are so many things to learn in programming and that can definitely be overwhelming to a new someone who's new to programming. I think like we were just saying, looking back at code you've made in the past, even when you're pretty new, it will amaze you how much you learn so quickly. It really is something where you don't realize until you look back, but it's awesome to have that feeling of, wow, Six months ago, I didn't even know what I was doing. And I still get that feeling all the time as someone who's been programming for a really long time. But that just means I'm growing. It doesn't mean I'm bad. It, it doesn't mean that I'm not learning fast enough and I should be past that point. Everybody, at least I think, everybody should always be looking at their old stuff and grimacing a little bit. That's how the best programmers in the world become the best programmers in the world. They are always pushing themselves to learn new things and improve even upon their already great skills. I think maybe that's why one of the reasons why I love programming so much is that you'll never master or you'll never be, you know, the best. There's always going to be something that you can get better at. Uh, I think that's initially one of the things that that attracted me to music as well is that, you know, you can never truly master every aspect of music. No matter how long you've been programming or playing guitar or whatever, there's always something that you can work on. You know, I actually heard it said not too long ago. I, I think this might have been a Gary Bernhardt tweet or something. Basically, there is no one on the planet who understands entirely how a computer works. There is no one on the planet who knows everything about the low-level parts of a computer all the way up through the software stack. So it's kind of crazy that these things even work, right? It's so complex. And there's so many moving parts. Not physically moving parts anymore because SSDs. But there are so many quote-unquote moving parts that you look at it and it's like, oh man, where would I even start? And I think really the best way to do that is kind of to set yourself deadlines, right? Sort of like what you've been experiencing with Flaticons, where now that you have a deadline, it's suddenly making you way more passionate about it. If you set yourself a deadline when you're learning, you're going to experience the same thing. And don't do anything crazy. Don't be like, oh, I have to learn HTML in a week or I'm an idiot. That's not the right attitude. 
but say, I want to make myself a personal website over the course of the next couple months and set, say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work on it a lot over Christmas break if you're in college or what, whatever that is for you. Just kind of figure out what's going to work really nicely and then stick to it. It's kind of like a long game time boxing. Instead of two hours, it's two months. No, I think that's a really good point. Setting deadlines for yourself or setting deadlines for things that you're working on. I think that forces you to kind of prioritize that more than you normally would. Keeping the goal realistic is also very important. Say I'm going to make a simple personal website with just HTML and CSS. Don't say I'm going to write a compiler. If you're brand new to programming, at least. Maybe you're at the point where I'm going to write a compiler is a great goal. If so, that's awesome. But don't try to push yourself too much as a beginner because that's just going to that's just going to make you discouraged. Yeah, I mean I, I think a certain amount of frustration is good and healthy, but you're right. If you pick out something that's just way too intense, you're going to get discouraged. It's it's going to make it difficult to continue on that that journey. But I th- I think that, you know, when you do feel that frustration because it will happen, I still feel it all the time when when I'm working on things, the important thing is to not run away from that frustration, but learn how to manage that frustration. Another thing that people seem to have a lot of trouble with is just dealing with how many things there are in programming. There's CSS and SCSS and less and post CSS and grunt and gulp and just straight up NPM and Ruby and JRuby and Rubinus and Rails and Sinatra. And the list goes on and on and on for no matter what you're doing in programming. There's 50 different options, things you need to learn, but you don't actually need to learn them all at once. Just pick a thing that sounds interesting. Pick a thing that you like and then work on that for a bit. It's going to become very clear to you when you are ready to take that next step and learn another thing, whether that's another language or a different implementation of a thing. But just take it easy, take it step by step, take it one day at a time, and make sure to look back at your progress. I'm a really big fan of of things like Exorcism.io or even Project Euler. And I actually have been working through some uh, Exorcism projects lately, and it's been really helping me out. Uh, so when I was learning how to program, I ended up watching a lot of videos and answering really simple quizzes, but that that didn't necessarily allow me to internalize that. So I've been learning that I actually learn better when I'm writing lots of code. And so things like Project Exorcism, you you go onto their site and you sign up, and then they you can pick a language. I mean, they have they have so many languages you can pick from. For instance, if you're if you're going to learn Ruby, you download the first Ruby project, which would be Hello World, and you go through the steps to complete that. The project, you submit it, and then it gets peer-reviewed. So it's actually reviewed by real people. You can have real code discussions with real people. And then you move on to project two and do the same thing over again. And for me, it's great because I'm not just watching a video and thinking about what someone's saying. I'm actually having to think about it myself and memorize those things for myself and then submit it. And then also, you know, talk about the code that I wrote to other people. One thing that I've tried in the past that I think has worked out pretty well is not only do I go back and look at the code from six months ago, but then I re-implement it, which is really a really, really cool way to see exactly how you've progressed. You know, I never actually thought about doing that before, but I've done that a whole lot, especially with client work, because I actually like to write my own uh, utilities as opposed to use as many plugins as I can. And it turns out that I've written 
a modal component I don't know how many times over the past year but I you know I keep refining it as I go I never really thought to go back and look at the old code and and, you know kind of appraise it yeah it's great and sometimes you'll see something and you'll you'll think oh that's terrible and other times you'll see something and be like wow I can't believe I thought of that. That's pretty cool. So it kind of goes both ways, which is nice. I do think it's very a very healthy thing to do, though, rewriting old code. It doesn't have to be you rewrite the entire thing. Maybe you, you're just like, you know what? Last time I made a blog, the authentication part of it was kind of messy. So you go back and look at that, evaluate, reevaluate it, and see what you can improve with what you've learned since then. And I think that's a really healthy exercise. You know what's funny is that I actually just did that with Flaticons. I rewrote a shopping cart and an icon search feature and a bunch of admin tools. Just straight up rewrote them because I thought they were hacky and ugly. And it felt pretty good, I bet. It felt really good, but I also learned a lot. I mean, I learned how to use the the serializers, which again is incredible. If you haven't used them, you really need to check that out. But I also, you know, I learned how to use a data store, which really, really streamlined how my different views communicate with the API and consume data. And it, I don't know, it it just felt like such a smooth process to rewrite that stuff. So early this morning when I was having my morning coffee, I found an article that was, that's actually really relevant to this, this discussion. Uh, It's called 10 Tips for Young Programmers by Peter H., and in that article, as you might have guessed, he gives 10, 10 tips for young programmers. And I thought they were all really, really good. So you actually linked this to me apparently 15 minutes after he posted it because of the wonder of the Internet. And I read through it and I think it's really I think it's really great. So maybe we can just talk a little bit about kind of the points he made. Yeah, definitely. Um, the first point is take your time. And I you know, I like I like this. I feel like so many people these days are in a rush. I got to learn how to do this now. I got to get a job now. Uh, it kind of takes the fun out of it, you know, when you're in a rush or when you're under pressure to do something. And I feel like if you're if you're learning how to do something for a living, it should be fun, right? I mean, you should probably enjoy it. Uh, so take your time. Don't be in a rush to become a, a seasoned programmer. Just enjoy the journey. I think this is one of the few professions in the world where a lot of people who do it for a living actually do really like it. That's something that you shouldn't throw away. If you can retain that at all, definitely hold on to that because it's a very rare and very fortunate thing to have. Point number two is write code and write more code. And I think this kind of speaks for itself because if you're wanting to write code for a living, you're going to have to write code to learn how to do that, right? It's a lot of doing the same thing over and over, even though kind of one of the core mantras is don't repeat yourself. Turns out you're going to write a lot of code. And I think one thing for me that I've seen a fair amount of programmers not do is learn how to type. And that's a major thing. If you can increase your words per minute by even, you know, 10 or 20 over the course of a year, that's going to save you so much time. You really need to get to the point where you can type almost as quickly as you can think. And that's when you're going to achieve maximum productivity. You don't need to be the fastest typist in the world. Once I hit around 90 words per minute, I think that was kind of when my typing efficiency maxed out. I'm I'm faster now, but it's not necessarily something that helps me be a faster programmer because my brain just doesn't figure out solutions to things that much faster. Jeff Atwood has a really good post about this as well. And also, interestingly enough, there is actually... There's like a like a war going on in the comments with people that disagree, but I I agree with you that 
uh, typing is very important. I mean, you type for a living, you know. So having good typing form can save you, well, it saves you time because you type faster and you can type more accurately so you're having to delete less. But it also can save you from developing problems with your wrists, wrist pain and, and such. Having good proper typing form is incredibly important. Point number three is develop your strengths. So kind of what that means, I guess, is making sure that you focus on the thing that you are inherently good at. And there's always going to be things that you're better at than other things in programming. There's so many different disciplines, and that means that not everybody's going to be the best at all. So focus on the ones that you can really excel at easily, at least to start. And maybe even more importantly, focus on the ones that you enjoy doing. I think the second half of that is really important. You know, do what you enjoy doing. You know, if you're working on learning HTML and you're just not having a good time, if it seems really dry, why not give something like JavaScript a try? Like find a, you know, find a beginner course on Codecademy or something and and try something else out. If you're just not having a good time and the information's not sticking, try try changing it up. Number four is learn to work with others. So this is really important because it's very rare that you're going to be the only programmer on a thing, whether that's the only programmer on your team or the only programmer on a project and there's contractors or what, it doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is you're going to have to deal with other programmers pretty much all the time. And it's very important to learn how to do that because there are people who are going to be better than you at a certain thing. And you need to learn to accept that and not be resentful of it. It's very easy to be like, oh, this person's always just criticizing my code and uh, they're the worst and they make me feel terrible. But try to remember, in most cases, they're not trying to make you feel bad. They're trying to help you. And that's a big deal. There are so many people out there who really want to help you become a better programmer. It's a very giving community. Yeah, if you're in that position where you're working with programmers that are that are more skilled than you, uh, you should really relish that opportunity and ask questions, you know, learn learn from what they're doing. If you find yourself in that situation where you're working with programmers that are more advanced than you, you should really take that to heart and try to learn as much as you can from them. I think points five and six are kind of related. Point five is use science, not magic. And point six is trust your instincts. For me, a lot of good programming is not being too magical. There's a lot of times when you'll go into somebody's code base who's a pretty experienced programmer, and you'll look at it and it'll be very confusing. And you might think, oh, well, this just means I don't know enough and I'm the worst and eh, this is terrible. But that's not necessarily true. A lot of times it's a very easy trap to fall into to be too clever with your programming. And that's something that you should try to avoid. Write things that are clear, write things that are concise, but don't go out of your way to use fancy stuff. The way I kind of look at it is like writing English. The best writers don't use big words all the time. They use clear words that are short and to the point and are accessible to a wide variety of people. And I think you should do the same thing in your own code. You know, that kind of reminds me of a blog article I linked to you once, Paul, where it outlined the differences in code that programmers write as they mature. And it said like year one, and it was such like a basic example of a Hello World app in Java. And then it said year two. And it was maybe a little bit fancier. And then year five was just over the top complicated just because it could be. And then year six, it started to get a little bit more simple. Year 10, it was almost the same program that the year one person had written. Sure. And I think it's also kind of an Occam's razor thing. And this maybe goes a bit more to point six, trust your instincts. If you're looking at a programming problem, in most cases, 
the simplest and most obvious solution is going to be a pretty good solution, and it's going to be a very easy one for other people to remember and look at. So if you're working with other people, which you are almost certainly going to be, then you should probably be trying to use simple solutions that everyone can understand. It doesn't help anybody for you to be clever with all of your programming. Yes. Point seven is work with what you have. And I'm a really big fan of this. So it seems to me like there's this really big push to use the latest tools, the newest frameworks all the time. And I tend to not do that because I feel that I can work more efficiently and I can ultimately build a cleaner product by using tools that I actually know or may be comfortable with. And maybe this point might mean, you know, instead of jumping from project to project and changing your framework, you know, why not get familiar with a tool that you enjoy using and get really familiar with that? Because number one, you're going to be more efficient, but also number two, you're going to spend less time thinking about the tool that you're using and more time thinking about the code that you're writing and the end result. I mean, look at how many great programmers still use C, which has been around for the the programming equivalent of forever, and it's still a really great thing. Now, obviously, there are there are reasons that C is so great, you know, speed and being close to the metal. But I think the point stands pretty well. Where if you have a if you have a pretty great tool that you're very comfortable with, there's nothing wrong with sticking with it for at least a while. Point eight is embrace criticism. This is something that can be hard to do. You know, when when you're submitting a pull request or just, you know, asking somebody for help and showing them your code, you know, having somebody tear apart or criticize something that you wrote is a very personal thing. But I think this is really, really great advice, especially for somebody that's learning how to program. Valid criticism is something that you can learn a lot from. And so I think this author is totally right to have this in the top 10 list. You know, just embrace that criticism. If it hurts, that's fine. It doesn't hurt for very long, you know, just just learn the lesson and, and move on with it. Yep. It's going to make you better in the long run. I, I think we already kind of touched on this with the, if you're working with people that are more experienced than you, relish that and, and really learn to learn how to learn from them. And I think this is kind of in a similar vein. Good criticism is going to make you a much better developer or designer or whatever you happen to be. If you learn to accept good criticism and learn from it, you're going to be so much better off in the long run. Point number nine is keep your costs low. And I think to me, this really is more on the software side than on the hardware physical dollar sign side. If you can use tools that come with your operating system of choice and tools that are just built in, freely available, open source, easy to install, then that's going to make your life a lot easier in the long run because you're going to switch computers a lot over the next however many years. That's just part of working with computers and being able to use tools that are widely available, cross-platform tools especially. I think that's a major, major benefit that makes you much more flexible as a developer. It's a huge benefit. Currently, I bounce between three computers while I work. I have a laptop, an iMac at home, and an iMac at work. And I use pretty much all open source software. So I'm able to install everything on each computer and I use Git. You know, I, I, I keep all my dot files stored in Git, so whenever I need to make a change, I push it up to my repository, and on the other computers, I pull it down, and I'm ready to roll. You know, there's there's nothing crazy going on. It's just simple. Point 10 is publish your work. This is something that I've been trying to do more of this year. I've been writing more blog posts and thinking more about things and writing about them, but I've always struggled with publishing in my actual source code. I think especially as someone who's new to programming, that's really scary. I know it was very scary for me. 
even for many years after I'd been programming. The open source movement was, you know, kind of newer at that stage, at least not as developed as it is now. And I felt like, you know, who am I? Who am I to be submitting code to GitHub along with all these brilliant people? But that's not really how it works. It's really more about just making cool stuff. And if somebody likes it, they'll use it or improve upon it. Nobody's going to be judging you for releasing open source software. It's a very supportive community overall, and it's something that's really, really going to help you grow. The difference between just making something and then letting it sit in a corner and collect dust versus making it and releasing it, even if nobody really cares, it's going to make you produce a much better product. You're going to think about things in depth, and maybe you'll even get some great feedback. I think we talked about that in one of our previous episodes as well, uh, where we mentioned you know writing code as if other people were going to inherit it from you, and that almost always leads to a better product. I think publishing your work, like you said, also writing blog posts, even if you don't think you're the most qualified person, that's still a very useful thing because somebody else is always less qualified than you and can always learn from what you have to say, but it's also going to make you much better at what you do. That's kind of part of the reason we started this podcast. Like, it's sort of intimidating for me to do this. I don't know about you, Sean, but I think it's helped me grow a lot. Yeah, it has. It's forced me out of a comfort zone of, you know, just kind of observing and not really contributing to the community. But it's I think it's been really good. It's been really great. Thanks for listening to Does Not Compute. And our thanks to Hired, this week's sponsor. Remember to check out Hired.com slash Does Not Compute, and they'll give you a $4,000 bonus when you get a new job through them. There are a ton of engineering and design jobs available at great pre-screen companies all over the world. If you've been enjoying Does Not Compute, please remember to rate or review us on iTunes. It's one of the easiest and best ways you can help support the show.